Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Satan is set on destroying people's lives with coming to us and barraging us at times with these destructive thoughts, these, these plaguing thoughts that are all meant to drive us in a direction that will ultimately ruin our lives. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, in a message titled, Satan's War on the Mind, Part 2. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we're reading Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18, again today, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation today. Just, you know, as I said, I want to keep this text fresh in our mind and just changing the translation today. So Ephesians 6, 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in the power or in his mighty power, put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. All right, so we're picking up again today. We're back to our subject of spiritual warfare. And you remember perhaps that our message was entitled Satan's War on the Mind. And I want to come to part two of that message today. Uh, As I mentioned in the previous study, as we finish things up, there just really wasn't enough time to to get everything into the one teaching. So I thought it would be better to, to break it into two parts. And so we'll pick up with the second part today. Now, let me just refresh your memory. In our last study, we saw how Satan's primary target is the mind We looked at a number of different passages that that show us that he has access to our minds. He's able to put thoughts into our heads. He's, He's able to affect our thinking process. We saw how he attacks us in our thinking process by suggesting things like God's love and mercy for us have run out. We saw how he seeks to plant doubt about the truthfulness of God's word in our minds. And then lastly, we saw how he will at times hurl 
blasphemous, perverse, and other evil thoughts into our minds. Today, I want to pick up where we left off with the evil thoughts and look at something similar but different. It's similar in the sense it's that that barrage that comes sometimes to our minds, but it's not in this particular case, it's not so much the blasphemous thoughts or the perverse thoughts, but I want to talk uh, about what we might call uh, the destructive thoughts or the consigning thoughts. And sometimes what the enemy will do is he will plague our minds with destructive thoughts. And what I mean by that is uh, thoughts of sort of like self-destruction or thoughts of consignment, that we are consigned to a certain type of behavior or a certain type of lifestyle that's destructive, that, that that's just who we are and what we are, and, and we can never get out of it. There's no escape from it. And so we want to look at this idea of destructive or consigning thoughts. So as I'm saying, these thoughts are intended by the devil to consign us to destructive behaviors, destructive lifestyles. And I want to give you a few examples of things, and then I want to make the connection between these behaviors and the thought process that is often behind them. Something that's huge in our culture, especially among women, and and particularly younger women, is uh, anorexia, bulimia, things like that. These These are destructive behaviors, destructive lifestyles where girls will starve themselves to death because they think they're, they're overweight. So they'll either starve themselves with anorexia or they'll purge what they eat with bulimia. But there's also another phenomenon that has come into the culture, again, mostly with young ladies. Occasionally you'll find some young men with this, but this whole thing of cutting or self-mutilation young girls mutilating their bodies, cutting themselves up. And so you've got these things. But then there's also in this area uh, homosexual behavior and the lifestyle. This is a destructive lifestyle regardless of what we're being told by uh, the cultural elites. It's, it's a destructive lifestyle. And uh, a lot of times there is this connection that I'm going to show you there as well. And then there's a suicidal tendencies. And there's a, a plague today in this regard. Suicidal tendencies, thoughts of killing oneself and so forth. But these behaviors, when you sit down and talk to people, you find that these behaviors are generally driven by these certain thought patterns. And so it's thoughts like this for the girls struggling with the anorexia and the bulimia, you know, thoughts, just obsessive thoughts like you're fat, you're obese, you're, you're ugly, no, nobody likes you. And, and it's like a relentless thing that assaults the mind. And when it comes to the whole cutting thing. Again, there's similar kinds of things. You're worthless. You're a loser. You'd be better off dead. Everybody would be better off if you were dead. 
And of course, these lead often to suicidal thoughts and tendencies as well. And the same kind of thing can occur with the homosexual thing. There's just the constant, relentless suggesting that this is who you are and this is just the way it is and you, you were born this way or whatever and, and now you, you must embrace that. Everyone who, who deals with people struggling with these kinds of things knows that there, there are these thought patterns that are connected to it. In 30 years of, of counseling, 30 plus years of counseling, in every one of the things that I just mentioned, in, in virtually every case, you have these plaguing thoughts that are oftentimes the, the driving force. I'm not saying that that's the only component, but it's certainly there. Now, generally what would happen is a person would go and seek counseling, seek therapy, and the psychiatrists themselves, they don't really, they can identify these thoughts, they see them as destructive, but they really don't know why they exist. They don't have a final or, or a total explanation for it, they just know that they're there. Well, I think that the explanation is this is part of the devil's work. This is what the devil does. Of course, the psychiatric world's not going to know that because they don't believe that there's a devil. Uh, and so they're trying to handle it just strictly from a, the perspective of psychology, emotional issues, and so forth. Or they're maybe trying to handle it sometimes from the biological standpoint, which those things certainly can be a factor. But there's this other component that is so often neglected or overlooked. And sometimes even when it comes to Christian counselors, there's not the recognition of the satanic component here. I remember years ago sitting down and talking to a, a psychologist, a PhD in psychology, and we were talking about some of these kinds of things. And I was mentioning to him these thought patterns and the resulting behaviors and so forth. And, and I suggested to him that this was part of the work of the devil. And, and he was a Christian psychologist and he just sort of blew me off like, oh, that, you know, that's ridiculous. That, that, no, that, that doesn't have, he assured me that has nothing to do with it. I said, really? Are, are you sure? I mean, how do you know? It's completely consistent with what the devil does. The Bible tells us in Revelation 9, Verse 11, that the king over the bottomless pit, his name is Apollyon in the Greek, which means destroyer. And Satan is set on destroying people's lives. And this is one of the ways he does it. With coming to us and barraging us at times with these destructive thoughts, the, these, these plaguing thoughts that are all meant to drive us in a direction that will ultimately ruin our lives. And like I said, even pushing us to the point of suicide. Now, how do we deal with this? Well, we deal with it in a variety of ways, perhaps, but primarily and especially even because this kind of thing can happen even with Christians at times, we, we need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, I have to recognize, like we pointed out before, the source of these thoughts. I have to remember that the one who's bringing them to me 
is the father of lies. All deception originated with him. And so I have to recognize that, but then I have to stand on the truth of God's word. That God loves me. That God is not looking at my weight. That God is not looking at my complexion. That God is not loving me because I have a high IQ or I'm successful or all of those things that the world puts on us. God loves me because he loves me. And my identity has to be found in Christ. That I am a child of God, that I am a creature made in the image of God, that my identity, even sexually, is to be taken from what God says about me, not from what the culture says, or not from even how I might feel or the thoughts that are going through my head. And when it comes to things like suicide, I have to bring those thoughts captive. No, my life is not my own. I was bought with a price. I can't take my life. It's not mine to take. It's God's. So you see, it's through bringing our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ by taking his word and applying his word to these things. This is how we will ultimately gain the victory. But like I said, we've got to recognize the source, recognize that the motive is your destruction, the source is deception, but the answer is the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free, and that's what happens. The truth of God's word sets us free from the lies of the devil that want to consign us to destructive behaviors and lifestyles. So that's one. Secondly, another of the devil's wiles is the use of the fear tactic. So just going back, remember, we looked at condemnation, we looked at the temptation to doubt. We looked at the evil thoughts, now the destructive consigning thoughts, and now fear. The fear tactic. The devil threatens evil consequences to those who would trust and obey the Lord. This is just so consistently the way he does things. You have a, a conviction about obedience. You have a a sense that God's calling you to step out in a certain direction and the enemy will come in and he will try to strike fear in your heart. Oh, if you do this, you know, if you really give your life to Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to take you and he's going to set you in the heart of the jungle with the cannibals and they're going to put you in a pot and boil you and eat you. So don't even think about being a missionary. <laughs> Those are the kinds of crazy thoughts that sometimes can come to our minds. Now, this fear tactic uh, was vividly seen in the story that I want to share with you here. There are many examples of this, but I'm going to share this particular story with you. It's the story of Rabbi Leopold Cohen. Leopold Cohen was a Hungarian Jewish rabbi, and through various circumstances, he came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel. And when he received Christ, he wanted to make a public confession of his faith, and he understood that to be baptized would be the, the way to do that. And so his story is amazing. The story of the events that transpired on the day of his baptism, they amply illustrate the devil's attempts to hinder God's work through this 
tactic of striking fear in us. So let me read you the story in his own words. This is what he said. And this is on the day that he was scheduled to be baptized. Early that morning about daybreak, I awakened with a shiver and it seemed as if someone spoke saying, what are you doing today? I sprang out of bed and walked up and down the room like one suffering from high fever, almost not knowing what I was doing. I had been anxiously waiting to be baptized as I was looking forward with joy to the time when I could publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ before men. But now a sudden change came over me. The voice that was talking to me was that of the great enemy of mankind, though, of course, he was so sly that I could not perceive at the time that it was Satan. Many questions were proposed to me rapidly, one after another, and perplexed me so that I felt ill mentally and physically. He questioned thus, you are going to be baptized, aren't you? Do you know that as soon as you take this step, you will be cut off from your wife whom you love so dearly? She can never live with you again. Do you realize that your four children whom you are so fond of will never call you Papa or look into your face again? Your brothers, sisters, and all your relatives will consider you dead and all their hearts will be broken forever. How can you be so cruel to your own flesh and blood? Your own people will despise and hate you. You are cutting yourself off from your people. You have no friends in this world. You will be left alone to drift like a piece of timber on the ocean. What will become of your name, your reputation, your official position? He goes on and he says, These thoughts put to me in the form of almost audible questions by Satan, whom I for the first time met as a personal enemy, distressed and almost unbalanced my mind. I could not sleep, neither could I eat. My friend who was with me noticing this tried to strengthen and encourage me in every possible way, but nothing availed. I knelt down in prayer to God, but the satanic delusion was as strong as before. So he goes on, he continues the story by describing what happened after he came to the point where he just more or less conceded defeat, like I, I can't do this, I can't go through this. So he went to the, the man who was to baptize him that day, or at least he was making his way to inform him that he wouldn't be able to follow through with it. And yet, at the same time, interestingly, there was a congregation that had heard about his conversion and knew that this was the day that he was to be baptized and they began to pray for him. And he didn't know it at the time. He received a letter later that informed him that the congregation had prayed for him at this specific time. They felt an urgency to pray for him. And he goes on to say that as they began to pray, suddenly the oppression lifted. And instead of canceling his appointment, he was baptized and made his public confession just as he had planned to do. Now, the interesting thing here is this man, Leopold Cohen, uh, went on to establish a, a thriving congregation in Brooklyn, New York, the early part of the 20th century. And he would lead thousands of Jewish people to faith in the Messiah. And so you see the the devil was there. Notice that rapid succession of thoughts. Your wife, you're going to lose her. Your kids, or you're never going to see, you're not going to have that relationship with them again. You're never going to see them again. Your friends, your community, that's the kind of thing the devil does. As we 
feel led by the Lord to take a step in a certain direction, oftentimes he comes with those irrational kinds of thoughts and he just, just rapid fire, uh, there they are, hitting us from every direction. If that's happened to you, know this, you've been assaulted by the devil. That's the kind of thing he does. He uses this fear tactic. Another story that I'll, I'll briefly tell that's illustrates this point is back in the, the 1700s in England, there was the, the eight, it's called the 18th century revival now as they look back on it. But it was that time when God just radically poured out his spirit. Tens of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. And the two most prominent names involved in that 18th century revival were uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. And Whitfield was the one that the revival really sort of actually began through. It was his preaching. And he would go and he would preach to the miners in the fields uh, around Bristol in England. And literally thousands upon thousands of people would come to hear him preach. So there was this great outpouring of the spirit that was happening. But Whitfield had to leave England and he had to come to what was then the, the colonies, the British colonies here on this continent. And yet he knew he couldn't just step away from the work. He knew that there had to be somebody that would come and, and take his role on because he, he could see that God was moving and you know there was a great work to be done. So as he thought about it and prayed about it, uh, his friend John Wesley came to mind. So he sent an invitation to Wesley asking him if he would take that position over, that he would be the one to go and continue this great preaching ministry that God had opened up uh, all throughout the countryside of England. And Wesley, the moment the invitation came, he was suddenly stricken with the fear that if he responded positively, if he said yes, that he would die. It would be certain death for him. And feeling that way, of course, he didn't, you know, he thought, well, this can't be God. You know, if this whole thing, you know, God must be telling me no, not to do it. And he opened his Bible on four different occasions looking for guidance. And every time the text seemed to affirm that he would certainly die if he did this. And he sought counsel from friends and fellow ministers. Everybody told him the same thing. Oh, don't do it. No, the Lord's showing you. He's warning you. It's not his will. You can't do it. Well, there, there was some so there was some other thing, God, you know, pressing him, sort of, you know, continuing to move him in the direction. Whitfield finally presses him for a final answer. And Wesley, against his own better judgment, he surrendered and said, I'll do it. And he said, I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. And so John Wesley stepped in and he began to do that preaching and tens of thousands of people would come to Christ through his ministry. He did die 45 years later after an amazingly fruitful ministry. But I read that story in, um, it was actually in Whitfield's biography years ago, and it just so aptly illustrated this point of Satan trying to strike fear in us and threatening us with evil consequences for obeying and trusting God. And listen, he'll do the same thing to you. Be aware of that. But know this, how do we respond Know this, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when that spirit of fear comes upon you, when those thoughts in rapid succession come, 
telling you that, no, if you do this, this this is going to happen. Know that that's the enemy. And if the enemy is pushing against us to try to prevent us from doing something, then you can be pretty certain that that's the very thing you need to do. January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Longu with Ann Coombs. Abused, abandoned, empty, and angry. This is a story of many youth in our culture today. And it's also the beginning of the story of the life of Stephen Longu, a young African man turned terrorist during a time of political and social unrest in Africa. In his book, Out of the Black Shadows, Stephen Longu shares his testimony of being abused by his father abandoned by his mother, rejected by family, to ultimately finding inner healing, peace, reconciliation, and true purpose through Jesus. If you want to be inspired by the transformation and healing God can produce in a life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, Out of the Black Shadows by Stephen Lungu with Ann Coombs, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.